Exodus chapter 11 and 12. Is that how you um, Hey, listen, do you work at, where do you work, Williamson? Yeah, that's the one, that's the one we got to take. So, so you'll appreciate this story. I take my daughters on a date from time to time. I got a lot of daughters. And Josh McDowell made a statement once that I've never forgotten. He says, if you don't kiss your daughter, someone else will. So I'm like, done. I'm in. And, um, but so I take the daughters on a date, okay? And we do this, and we often go to the Happy Tales because it's like the pet library. You just check them out for a little bit, and then when you're done, you take them back in. And, and this has happened multiple times. And somehow on Saturday, something happened way different than ever before. And his name was Samson, okay? I don't know if it was his hard luck story, but Samson was a uh, half Great Dane, half Black Lab, okay? And Samson, there's a lot of hard luck stories going on at the Happy Tales of like people abandoning their pets, you know, when they leave, they get their house foreclosed, they leave their dogs. And Samson was part of a litter, and I can't remember if it was six or seven dogs, of which the, the lady said that when they brought them in, they were so emaciated and so sick that they, they, almost, they well, uh, all but two of them died. And they, she said it would have been humane to have actually let to put them all down but they felt so compelled that they wanted to you know to have a happy ending to this story so samson is part of this happy ending okay now samson is the size of a small car tire i mean he's just this and he's only six months old uh but he i mean my daughter lauren lost her mind like cried when we had to leave she cried in the van she cried when we got home and then and then I'm starting to get texts from Shannon, because this is on her. You understand, young people, when you get a dog later in life and you have the kids, you've just got another kid, okay? Ex- except for you can put the kid in the yard. But this one, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, so this is kind of on Shannon. I mean, and, and we already had a dog. We got a dog last year, okay? And this dog has not exactly turned out like we planned. It's almost like it's we've turned into like the senior citizen center for cowboy. He's like this cantankerous little old man dog that um, he's like Mr. Magoo almost like his personality is just bizarre. And he's decided that Maddie is the alpha male, which is weird and not really working out for me. And I come home, he barks at me. He's completely disrespectful of me. Um, he follows Maddie wherever she goes. And when Maddie is not around, then he uh, goes to Shannon. And when Shannon's not around, we're like this awkward father son. We have nothing to say to each other. We just <laughs> sit on the couch and look at each other and like, how you doing? Um, and uh, so in a way, I'm kind of almost a little fired up because this is like a man dog, okay? He's a manly dog, and he's kind of cool, and he's got, you know, and he likes me. Um, so anyway, long story short, we now have a, a large dog that is apparently going to become a lot larger. Um, and uh, as I've had to sleep on the couch for like two nights while he's getting adapted to uh, Tyler House. And so anyway, all that to say will be. They, they spoke very highly of you at the Happy Tales place. They said, you, that's where we should be taking our dogs. So. Um, okay, Exodus 11 and 12. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we got to hit the ground running. It's 10. Um, uh, 10 to 8. So how many of you guys have actually read through this passage before? I mean, I remember Sunday school. We usually, like in Sunday school, they would skip over this a lot because what, you don't want like dead babies on the, uh, on the flannel graph, right? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like you don't, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so for those of you listening at home, <laughs> I will not identify who said this, but it basically you turned the baby Jesus from the manger flannel graph upside down, and that's where you get anyway. Um, wow. <laughs> and let's pray, and we'll be done for the night. No, um, but this is a tough passage because it's brutal. Um, it's not lost on me though. What's interesting to me as I was even reading it tonight was that Pharaoh and Israel are guilty of the same exact sin. They're going to leave this place, Israel. And I mean, after seeing everything that they have seen, it's going to talk, it says that they will harden their hearts. And what is it that Pharaoh does? His sin is to harden his heart. And this guy's hard is... Heart is hard. Like, it is rock solid. And it's interesting to me because after everything that this guy has been through, and in fact, if you, if you look in Exodus 4, 22, you don't have to turn there. Well, 
Exodus 1 is about to fall out of my Bible. Um, in verse 22, God opens up with this, like Moses, here's what you're to say to, to, to Pharaoh right now. He says, verse 22, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. So, I mean from go time, God has told Pharaoh what is going to happen. And his heart is so hard. Think about it. This would have been in the back of his mind, maybe even the front of his mind, the whole time. Which is, every plague happens. I mean, whether it's the flies, the gnats, the blood, the billows, the boils, whatever. He's seeing this stuff. He's seeing miracles happen in front of his eyes. So he knows that this is a God that is capable of keeping this promise. And still his heart is hardened. Heart is hardened to the point where his nation is ruined. I mean, it, it, it says that his nation is ruined. I mean, in, in the last chapter we ended, like everything around him has been destroyed. The livestock has been decimated. There's famine. The, 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 uh, the crops are destroyed. The people, I mean, think about it. What's happening like in our world right now when a banking system collapses? What do we do? We, they, people go in the streets and they riot. I mean, this is a disaster unfolding. And here's the guy that holds the keys to the kingdom. And his heart is so hardened that he refuses to let the people go. Now, to me, the one lesson for me, and maybe it's for you, I don't know, is hardening our hearts is something that I think is a subtle thing. And I know that a lot of times here, I mean, and I, I would rather be kind of an exhorter kind of guy, but you know, occasionally we have to look at the word and say, okay, but this is like, I need the admonishment part of this, the, hey, be careful part of this. In Hebrews, it actually talks about, you know, don't harden your hearts like they did in the time. And it's talking about the people of Israel. But a hard heart, I think, is something that happens over time. And the picture of the potter, right? The picture of clay. Did you guys ever do, like, been, did you have to do that class where you do the, the little the potter wheel thing? Like, I stunk out. I think I made an ashtray on the potter wheel because I couldn't get it to go tall. Um, or you've been to Third Coast Clay. But yeah, what, what is it that makes the clay soft? It's water and a lot of water. And if you don't continually add water, it eventually becomes hardened. And the Bible is referred to as what? Water, the water of the word. And those things that we're to, to keep our hearts soft is the word. To keep that, uh, like that scene in Ghost, <laughs> without Demi Moore, um, is keep it sopping wet. You know what I mean? Keep yourselves soaking wet in the word because that's what's going to keep your heart soft. And the further I get away from the word, the more time I don't spend in the word, then it's when, I, when I'm not in the word, I tend to let things slide in my life that I wouldn't have let slide before. When, I, when I'm not in the word, I tend to watch things on TV or listen to things on the radio or things that aren't necessarily pure because my heart gets a little hard. And if you just continue, and so the, I guess the admonishment to us is this. It's a subtle thing and it's a dangerous thing. Because eventually, what I believe, when it, if you watch the transition where, where it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, switches to God hardened his heart. God is a gentleman. He's not a jerk. He's not going to force himself on you. That's called spiritual rape, and he ain't into that. He, will, he chooses you, and he wants you to choose him. And if you choose to harden your heart, that's what God is basically doing. He is agreeing with Pharaoh. Your heart is hardened. And for those of you that might struggle with what I struggled with, which is how is it that God allowed this to Pharaoh? He simply sums it up. And I'm going to kind of give it a big picture, and then we're going to dive in with our shovels together. And I hope that you have your shovels ready. His explanation in this is, I am the Lord. <laughs> Here's why I'm going to do this. I'm the Lord. Everything in these two chapters that I, that I would like to explain, that I would like to not be uh, God, he says, I am the Lord. And, and I want you to know, when you get, if you encounter folks that say, oh, how can you believe in a God that, that would do this, that would kill people? Or if you would even encounter people that say, but God doesn't do that because that's, Jesus didn't do that. And Jesus, understand this, that God didn't tag in a new God at the New, at the new Testament, all right? There wasn't like, this isn't a tag team wrestling match. 
where the old God sits on the bench and tags in the new God. Jesus says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John chapter 1. So this is the same God. And one day when we get to heaven, we'll be able to go, oh, it says that we're all going to look at him and say, righteous and true are your judgments. So when I don't understand it now, when I don't get it, what I do is I take it to the cross and say, okay, but I do get that. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is the cross, the Passover, the lamb that was slain. And I can understand that. And if he did that for me, then whatever else that I don't get, that I take it to the cross and say, I don't get this part, but I do get the cross. I do get that if he would do this for me, then he truly is good. His intentions truly are pure and he does love us. So the the Passover is this, um, chapter 11 is the setup for it. And it's something that, this is a, a feast that is still celebrated today. And it is basically God saying to Moses, to Pharaoh now, this is it, your time is up. I've given you warning after warning. We've made it, you know, rain flies. It is made clear to you, to your people. And and he says to Moses, now is time. This is the time that it's actually going to happen, that he's going to let you go. And it it says in verse 9, we're just going to go to the end of that and then head into chapter 12. And the, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. And in verse 1 of chapter 12, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be your first month, the first month of your year. God is doing something that God has done, he'll do again, and that is he changes the calendar, okay? He basically says, from this moment on, this is such a significant event that this is a split in history. It is a new time, a new calendar. It's what happens when Jesus then comes on the scene. It's the next time that he's going to change the calendar. And he splits it in half. It's before Christ and it's after Christ, which is a picture even just for you and I, right? Remember your life before Christ and after Christ? But he splits the calendar. And what's interesting, okay, for you theologians or wannabes like me, is that changing the time is spoke of in Daniel 7.25 when it talks about the Antichrist and when he comes eventually on the scene. and uh, That he will, it says he will change the times. Change the time. And the word, if you've got a, a study Bible in the margin, is the calendar. He'll change the time. And what does he want to do? Think of the French Revolution if you're a history buff. 1793, they tried to change the calendar. They're like, we don't want to, we want to bring in a humanistic view of this. And so if I change the calendar, then we no longer, because every time I sign a check, every time I sign onto my computer, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, whoever you are, they had to acknowledge that Jesus was on the earth because they have AD. They're, they're on his time now. The, interesting side note, by the way, the, the Jewish population, um, when they exist in our world, of course, they, they go by our time, but when it's in their world, they they basically say, I think it's 5,770 right now, which is the young earth theory. But it's that uh, they, that's how they acknowledge time. Now, when they're with us, they'll say AD and you know whatever, but in their own world, they're still going on a calendar of Messiah that hasn't come yet. And interesting that, that the sign, one of the signs of Daniel 7 is that he will try to change the time. So God is changing the time right now with these guys. And he says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males. A lot of them render, I think King James renders it as firstborn. Without defect, that you may take from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Interesting, by the way, the 10th day of the month. If, if you're a note taker, uh, well, you can just go home and listen to the podcast. You don't have to, there might be too much information. I, uh, the 10th day of Nisan or Nisan, depending on your Hebrew, uh, the lamb was to be selected in first Corinthians five, write this down, go there later. Chapter five, verse seven, Paul says this, that Jesus was our Passover lamb. The picture of the lamb is the one that we're about to see unfold In Genesis, remember when Abel sacrificed a lamb and it was acceptable? That was a lamb for one person, for one single person. 
Right here we see a lamb for a family. In Exodus 29, there's a, it's a lamb for a nation when they sacrifice a lamb for the nation of Israel. In John chapter 1, it says that John was coming and he, says, he saw Jesus and it says that he behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. It's a, it's a lamb for the whole world. And it goes here to say that, uh, it, that's 1 Corinthians 5, 7, by the way. But look at this. It's a, it's a without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. The 10th and the 14th day. Interesting, when you look at Jesus, they had to examine these. Between this 10 and 14th day, they were examining the sheep to make sure that this lamb was pure, that it was without defect, that it wasn't sick, that it was, that it was clean. And when you look at those chapters leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, when he entered the city, what's amazing to me is that what they're doing is testing him. They're testing his theology. They're testing his sin. They're testing it just to see if he is really who he said he was. It's that between the 10th and the 14th day. And it goes on to say here in verse, um, verse 6 to 7, when all the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, Then they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. If you go down, I think it's in verse 25, it actually begins to explain even more. It talks about on the top of the the door, on the sides of the door, and then at the basin of the door. And when you think about that picture, what it forms is a cross. It forms the places that Jesus himself bled from, his head and his hands and his feet. It's a perfect picture of who Jesus is. The 10th and the 14th, again, by the way, think about this, that the very month in the year AD 32, that was the day that Jesus himself entered the city on that day. And it was the 14th day, by the way, that this this Passover was celebrated, was the day that Jesus himself was slaughtered, that Jesus himself was bleeding for us on a cross and for our sins. It's, it's fascinating when you go through, and we don't, I wish we had time, and maybe we won't, in a few minutes we'll get to go through more of the details of it, but as this picture unfolds, it's beautiful. And I wonder if this is one of the things that Jesus, when it says that on the road to Emmaus, when it says that he found the two disciples walking, and it says that he showed them in the scriptures who he was, and when, then their eyes were opened because they saw prophecies and they saw this picture that was painted over and over and over again. And I wonder if this was one of the things that Jesus took them to. It says that uh, they to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they're to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs made, uh, and bread made without yeast. Jesus, by the way, said, what, that you're to eat my body. Scandalized them, right? Because like, is he a cannibal? This is a freak thing to say. But it's a picture. This was a picture. God speaks in pictures. That's why I think... We love stories so much. It's why God told stories, because it helps us to understand and to grasp it. It says, do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, the head, the legs, and the inner parts. And listen to this. Do not leave any of it until morning. In other words, if you have a Tupperware, this is not to be put in the Tupperware, the Egyptian Tupperware. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. And the reason, because when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. It's done. There's no more work left to be done. There's nothing else that has to be done. It's finished. The work was perfect at what he did at the cross. And this is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. In fact, in, I think it's verse 34. He talks about like, even put your kneading trough on your back, like Breezy's kneading trough or whatever that case is that she's got. She's got like a bulletproof briefcase or backpack in it. But... um. Because they're about to eat on the run. I mean, this is a, literally a, we're, we're, we're ordering it to go, but we're leaving. Like, we eat fast, dress ready to go, because we're leaving. This is it. I mean, this is, all these plagues were leading up to this moment, and now they're going to leave. Uh, verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on the, all the gods of Egypt. And here's why he says, why? If you're looking for Why? I am the Lord, and someday I'm going to understand that. And in the meantime, when I don't understand it, I think I've said this here before, but faith is what bridges the gap between my understanding and God's reality, and I can trust that he is good. Abraham asked this rhetorical question when he said, shall not the God of all the universe do what is right? And the answer is yes. And when I don't understand it, I go back to the cross and say, okay, that gets, I get it. 
The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's why we call it the Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And this is a day to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you're to eat bread without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh may be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all in these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That's all you may do. Verse 17, celebrate the feast of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. He's prophesying, saying this, this hasn't happened yet. He's saying this is what you're going to do because this is what's going to happen tomorrow. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Leviticus, if you're a note taker, Leviticus 23 gives further information on it. It's the Passover, the 14th day. Now, interesting for, for the geeks like me, okay, and then for the rest of you, you can check out and come back in a minute. But on the 14th day of the month is when Passover happened. It's when Jesus died on the cross. It's when he said, it is finished. The next day, okay, in the Jewish tradition begins another feast. It's a seven-day feast, and it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay? It's the next day, and it says, when you hold the celebration for every generation, you're to celebrate the Passover on the 14th. The next day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. No leaven for seven days. The two feasts go together. They, they literally, they treat it in, in the, uh, the Jewish population like a spring cleaning. They're going through and getting rid of all, anything that, breadcrumbs, anything that might have any sort of leaven in it, because they're getting it out of there. And it speaks of this, and listen to this, it's, to me anyway, it's mind-blowing, maybe it isn't to you, but it speaks of the resurrection. Because three days after Passover, listen to this, was the Feast of first fruits. Right in the middle of these other ones, in the middle of Passover, and in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a seven-day feast, in the middle of that, Jesus, who speaks of, of without sin, okay, is now going to rise from the dead. He's the first fruits, is what Paul calls him, the first fruits of us. He was the first one out of it. it it's... If you ever wonder, man, was the Bible inspired? Is it really God writing it? The more you get to know him, the more time you spend in this, it's mind-blowing. I mean, I've read some crazy stuff and some hard books, but I'm telling you what, Ayn Rand doesn't have anything on this. Like This is mind-blowing stuff, how it all weaves together perfectly. So the Feast of First Fruits is what Paul calls, Paul calls Jesus our first fruits. And in verse 18, In the first month you're to eat the bread made without yeast from evening to the 14th day, of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your house. And whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community, whether he's alien or native born. And he basically goes in to give them the instructions of how this is going to work. Um, I wish we had time for that. Maybe we'll come back to that. Verse 21, Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once, select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood. Uh, dip it into the blood in the basin. The basin is what I was telling you about. It's like in, in that world, um, the Egyptian uh, tradition would have been like in our house. We have a doormat that says "Welcome," right? Well, actually, I don't know if it says "Welcome," but uh, there they would have a basin because that's what you had to wash your feet on because it was disgusting. So you would wash your feet in this basin. You're to put blood there. Um, not one of you shall go out at the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top, on the sides, and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter that land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. And gang, nobody, I think we're one of the only ones that has kids in here tonight. But as you guys begin to get married and make babies, and don't outsource the teaching. And remember this, 20 years from now, whatever. Don't outsource the teaching of your children to the church. The church is great. If you've got a youth pastor, a children's pastor, absolutely that's great. But it should be an addition to what you're already doing. This was something that I think that if you're looking for what is one of the main problems in America with our young people, 
with where I'm from is that my mom would call the youth pastor and say, you know, my son won't listen to me about this. Will you tell him this? And when I was a youth pastor, the parents would say, look, my son won't listen to me, but he listens to you. So you tell him. And he wasn't, you know what I mean? It's like, so I get him an hour a week tops, of which I'm going to speak for maybe 20 minutes as a youth pastor. But as a parent, you've got him every day. I've got my ride to school with my kids and they get tired of my lectures. But if you wonder where some of my like, dumb analogies and metaphors come from, it's me trying to make it make sense to a seven-year-old. We have 20-minute conversations in the morning. How do, you know, what does it look like? How do, you know? But I, get, I say that, and this is just something I'm planting a seed in you for later in your life, okay? Don't outsource the teaching of your children. It says teach their children this. This is very, very much in the Jewish tradition and most traditions. But in America, for some reason, we decide we've got to have a youth pastor to teach my kids. Um, anyway, that's my soapbox for tonight. Skip with me to verse... Well, let's get ahead of here. Here's the thing. They're going to leave this nation, okay? They're going out of here. But the thing that jumped out at me that I really want to get to tonight was in verse 46. It must be eaten inside the house. It's talking about the lamb again. Do not break any of the bones. There's a picture there that is mind-blowing. And I put it on Facebook tonight of why would it say don't break the bones of all the prophecies in here, of all the pictures that God is painting for us. Why would it say don't break the bones? It's interesting to me. I don't know if you've ever been to, like I've been to the Indian Reservation and, uh, and uh, this kind of brings back some bad memories, but um, it, where I was at, they would actually bring into for the, the uh, ceremony or uh, for the service, whatever, it was like a church type thing, um, as a gift, like they would bring a cow or a goat or whatever. And so while they were doing the morning session, you would hear, and then it'd be gone because what they had done was slit the goat's throat and then they'd hang it up and let the blood dry out. And then by dinner, that was your mutton soup. Okay. And I did that for like a week. Um, but, uh, this is kind of a, a picture of, sorry, it's still grossing me out because it's kind of, have you ever, has anybody had mutton before? Like around here they call it lamb, but there it's just really chewy and not so good. Um, and plus you're like, man, I know that goat. You know, that was a nice goat. <laughs> when I was a little kid, my dad brought home a goat one day, like a little goat. And the thing about little goats is they become big goats, okay? And they eat your stuff. But I remember... Being, I must have been like three or four years old. I remember sitting on the steps of the basement crying my eyes out because my little goat had to go away. He had to go on a trip. <laughs> and uh, I don't ever know what happened to that goat, but I, that is inked in my memory. And you wonder how many of these little boys and girls spent time with their little lambs you know, for four days in the house, right? Before they had to... Anyway, but it says, don't break any bones. And I put it up on Facebook. And of course, there's... There's a lot of reasons, and there's some obvious reasons. One is the prophecy of Jesus. It actually says that there would be, if you, uh, John 19, it talks about Jesus' crucifixion in chapter 30, but it's interesting because it says that it was getting to be close to the end of the day, and it was going to be the Sabbath the next day. So the Pharisees asked Pilate to break Jesus' legs. And it's interesting because um, if you've ever been on a cross, and I have not, but I've heard it's painful, um, you can't, basically what generally kills somebody is asphyxiation because they break their legs with a hammer and they can no longer support their weight at all and it, it suffocates them. And so the picture is amazing because they go to the guy on the left and they smash his legs. They go to the guy on the right and they smash his legs. But they get to Jesus in the middle and they say, he's already dead. And of course, the picture of them stabbing him in the heart and blood and water flows from his heart. But it's a picture not only of a prophecy, it's a picture of the sinlessness of Jesus. If you remember, uh, maybe you've never heard this before, but there's a story of how the Jewish shepherds would do, and that is if the lamb would wander off too many times out of love for this because he's, he's walking out to become like an appetizer for a wolf, right? Or poison. He's trying to keep him safe. And so out of love, what the shepherd will do is break his legs, his front legs. And he has to carry the lamb then, okay? And remember the picture Jesus says about, I'll leave the 99 just to get the one. But there's a picture of him carrying the lamb until the legs are restored. He sets them and restores them and 
over these days, these weeks of well, the leg is restoring. Of course, he bonds with the shepherd to the point where he won't leave at this point. But in Psalm 51, there's a fascinating passage where, where David says, I can't remember the verse, it's 51.8, make me hear joy and gladness. Keeping my David was what? A shepherd, right? A shepherd who was also a sheep. A sheep that had wandered away, a sheep that had murdered his neighbor, a sheep that lied about it for seven months and covered it up and was in agony. But he says this in uh, verse 8 of chapter 51, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. It's a shepherd talking. A shepherd saying, I get it, God. It hurt and it stinks, but I'm giving it up. But Jesus is this that's interesting to me because Jesus' legs were not broken because he was pure. Because it speaks of his sinlessness. He had not wandered away. There was no need to break his legs. But listen to this. It's hit me today and I was fascinated by it. Jesus, when he died on the cross, says it is finished. That his work is complete. My sins are covered by his blood, by what he did there. This, This spotless lamb took the wrath of God that was due me and took it upon himself that I don't have to suffer, that I don't have to take God's wrath and so not only does it speak of a, prof- a prophetic moment that said his legs wouldn't be broken, it doesn't only speak of his sinlessness, but it speaks of his uh, infinite amount of blood for me. Because where is blood made? In the bones. And if the legs are broken and the bones are broken, it cuts off the blood supply. So it speaks of his, his perfect uh, amount of blood for me. But I cannot exhaust. If I go to, I don't know if has anybody ever given plasma before? Kind of embarrassing, but I had to do that for a period in my life because we, you know, uh, we were short on money and we had a baby. And uh, so I was working as a waiter. I was doing these other things. But one of the things I did in my life was basically you go in there and they stick a uh, coffee stirrer in your arm with a hose attached to it. And they suck out the, you know, the plasma and they give you 20 bucks, right? So I do that and we'd, we'd have milk for the kids. But, but here's the thing about when you, give, when you give blood itself, Red Cross actually uh, um, read uh, one of those 25, like one of the 800,000, 25 things about you uh, things. The guy says that he's never, from the time he was six years old, that every time he's ever given blood, he passes out, like just bam. Um, but here's the thing about it. When you give blood, you could go next week and give another pint, and you could give another pint and another pint because your bones will continue to make more blood. And in Romans 5, it says that my sins, you know, that grace abounds, where sin abounds, grace abounds. So if I've got a pint-sized sin, God's got pint-sized blood. It covers it perfectly. And it's a perfect picture, not only prophetically, if my sin is earth-shatteringly large, then there's an infinite amount of blood that covers my sins infinitely. God's Blood, it's Jesus' blood, it's perfect. His bones were not broken because his blood would continue to, to be manufactured, so to speak, for me and for you. So if it's earth-sized sin, there's earth-sized blood to cover it. So the picture here is absolutely perfect. And I want to, hopefully, we've got a few minutes now, hear from you guys if anything jumped out to you. But... What I see here, the overarching theme, so to speak, is one of God's ultimate mercy. It's one of God's uh, perfection. It's one of God's judgment. It's one of God's uh, sovereignty. But the picture, the overarching picture, is one of God's mercy. Because when you think about it, Egypt didn't, uh, or Israel didn't deserve it any more than Egypt did. Israel is going to harden their hearts again in the, in the desert. They're going to harden it over and over and over and over and over again. But God was merciful. God is merciful to them. And his mercy to them, it says in Romans, is, is a proof that we can trust that he'll be merciful to us as well. So what did, what did you guys see tonight? Was anything that jumped out at you? Anything that was uh, shocking to you? I mean, I skipped over like 800 of the little pictures that Jesus, of Jesus all along the way. They're just, it's so rich and deep. It's like one of those desserts at uh, J. Alexander's, that big giant cake. You ever had that? It's like the size of my car tire too, this huge cake. It's, this is what this chapter is. It's just so rich. You almost have to come back and get more of it later. So anybody? Anything jump out? I think like a verse involving the blindness and part of that in the Yeah. Romans 10, yeah. 
And it says that they're going to see, like that's part of what will happen in our future, but it's like part of what, you know, when you, like those, <laughs> like Revelation wasn't written so that we could have great movies with Kirk Cameron, or actually not very good movies with Kirk Cameron, um, but but part of what it is, it's, it's, it's referred to in the Bible as the time of Jacob's wrath. It's the time to wake up the nation of Israel. It's a time, it's going to be the, you know, it's it's a time with the, one of the greatest revivals in history will happen where people are crying out to the Lord and his mercy but at that point, it's, it says uh, about halfway through there that they're going to their eyes are going to open. It'll be like, oh, you know, duh. But for now, if you've ever tried to witness to a Jewish brother or sister, it's hard, and it's hard because it's supposed to be. Roman says that that they're for a time they're blinded, but soon, and I, I believe this, they're going to look at this and go, man, how did we miss that? You know, all this time. Anything else jump out to anybody? Out there in TV land, nothing. I told you First Corinthians five seven, right? That Jesus is our Passover lamb. Best commentary on the Bible, the Bible. So I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Paul said. Take it up with him. Anybody else? You're so quiet tonight. Well, Leviticus 23, it actually is, it kind of gives more information on like um, the feasts. But the, the feast of the Passover is celebrated on the 14th, the 14th day. And then immediately after that is another festival. And that's the festival of the unleavened bread. And then in the middle of that is another festival. It's a feast, I'm sorry, called the Feast of the First Fruits. These are all tied side by side with each other. And so when you look at Jesus walking into the city on the 10th day and by the 14th day, he is slaughtered and crucified. And then on the third day, he is risen again uh, as the first fruits, as Paul calls him. It's, it's an amazing picture. Mm. Hmm. I don't remember it being hyssop. I remember that hyssop being what they used to hand him the uh, the vinegar on the cross was in a hyssop branch. Yeah, it ties in perfectly. Interesting, another Jewish tradition, by the way, that, and this is interesting to me because if you were to engage a, a Jewish rabbi in this, they don't even know why they do this one, okay? Now, they have theories and rabbinical books that, that theorize about it, but nobody can say with any certainty why they do this one. But listen to this, that the Jewish Passover to this day, between the first and the second cup, there's a four cups in this uh, of, of wine, but anyway, but between the first and the second, they take out uh, a linen, it's like a napkin, but it's like a pocket kind of thing. And they take out um, three matzahs, okay, stacked on top of each other. They take the one in the middle, they break it, okay? Speaking of what, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they take the one in the middle and they break it. They put it in the linen napkin and then they hide it somewhere in the house. And this is a tradition that they do. And uh, they basically, it's then a, you know, kids go find the little uh, matzah that's broken in a linen napkin 
And then there's a prize given for it. It's a reward for them. And you think about Jesus' body being broken for us. And he was wrapped in linen uh, and put into a tomb and then ultimately was brought out. And so it's, it's one of those ones that, they again, they have all kinds of theories. But um, someday they'll be like, oh, that's why we did that one. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, let's see if there's anything I missed. That's called the Afi Komen, I think is what that's called. Might be right or wrong about that one. It's basically, if, you know what it is? It's the Afikoman, and it's basically uh, that it, it's not a Hebrew word. It's a Greek word in this tradition. And it's a Greek word that says, that means I came. Um, it's not a Hebrew word. So Hebrew tradition is celebrated with a Greek title. The Moroccan juice, I read this today, and it wasn't on Wikipedia, so I'm pretty sure it's true. Um, they have a the part of their custom is that they actually take it, and there's a huge Jewish population in Morocco, but they take uh, it with them throughout the year. Then they take a piece of that and they hold it with them at year, uh, all year long until the next Passover. And their belief is that, uh, or until the leaven, uh, unleavened bread. But anyway, their belief is that if they're at sea and th- there's a storm, listen to this, that if they throw this broken bread into the water, that it'll calm the sea. How about that? And again, it was not on Wikipedia. Um, one more thing that was fascinating to me, and we don't really have time for this, but just chew on it. I'm not really sure, but it just I started seeing, I was over at the uh, the bread and company eating some soup. Uh, with, um, with Actually, no, my bread was leavened. So anyway, um, but interesting this, that it says in Psalm 105, verse 37, maybe it's 36, Somewhere in that area, just if you're in, if somewhere between 35 and 40, you'll find this. It says when they left, it talks about them leaving with the articles of gold and silver. And of course, that was fair because these guys spent 400 years building this nation for free. Okay, this was just a payment for their work. But interesting, it says that not there was not a feeble one among them. God had healed them. And then when you look in Second Chronicles, chapter 30, verse 13 through 20. Hezekiah was a godly king, and he reinstated the celebration of the Passover. And But what's interesting is when they ate the Passover, uh, it says that the Lord healed all the people in verse 20. Now, connect this dot with when it says that when you, that there are many, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, that many are sick among you. Um, for this reason, many are sick among you. And it talks about because you've approached the Lord's table unworthily or un, uh, unwisely. And I don't believe, by the way, that that means that if you do that, then you're going to get automatically sick. I, don't, I just don't believe that because there's too many different instances in the Bible of even like the blind man. And they said, well, he must have been born blind because of this or he was born blind for that. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, he was born blind so that on this day God could receive glory. So don't, don't think for a minute that God is using sickness to punish people because they didn't approach the table wisely. But it's just interesting to think that there's a, there's a, uh, there's a picture of healing in it. And I don't believe it's televangelist healing. I don't necessarily believe that if I throw my coat at you that, you know, and you fall over that, you, you know, I don't know. I, God clearly uses some of these things and God truly does heal people. I mean, I, we have friends that, you know, guy that just got back from the Sudan. And let me tell you what, God will heal some people when you're in the Sudan, okay? I've always viewed miracles like that as God's air cover for our ground war. You know what I mean? Sometimes you need some shock and awe, and so God will send in the big ticket items so that, you know, the Muslims or whoever you're ministering to at that point will be like, okay, but that's a cool one. Okay, I know that guy. He was blind, and he's not. So, you know what I mean? There's legitimacy to that, but it's just an interesting side note that this is all tied together with communion that, that as you approach the Lord's table. And I'm not exactly sure what it means. I, I you know, pray about it, talk about it, you know, think about it, but um, approach the Lord's table wisely. Um, for that reason, so. And it's interesting to note, too, by the way, that, you know, Paul talked about even his thorn in the flesh, okay? So he said pre, three times, take it away from me, and the Lord didn't. And nobody, you know, everybody has a theory as to what the Lord's, what the thorn in the flesh is, and the good news is just none of us know. So whatever it was, though, God said that for this moment, for you, Paul, for this time, I, I gotta, you got to keep this one for now. And then, of course, when we get to heaven, I wrote about it this week, but my mom, who couldn't even walk for the last part of her life, is, I mean, I'm sure she's up there walking right now, barking at, you know, people and, Calling for her kitty cat, you know, but um, because <laughs> that's how my mom was. But, but we will be when it talks about perfect healing. We will be perfectly healed. 
I mean, imagine getting out of bed in the morning when my legs aren't popping and my back doesn't hurt. You know, that'd be awesome, but for now. Anyway, so approach the Lord's table wisely. The Passover speaks of communion. Anything else from anybody? Any deep thoughts or shallow ones? Yeah, I got uh, Alan House says, Darren, what about when taking communion, sin, guilty of the body and blood, unconfessed sin? I'm not sure. Is that a question, Alan? Pastor Jeremy. Jeremy McGinnis. Is that a pastor? He seems smarter than me. I'm thinking about <laughs> Oh, it's my pastor from Leafields, from Knoxville. We're having a theology check right now. Um, let me see if there's anything to share on here. I finally opened my mouth, Darren, and you didn't say what I typed. I'm hurt, Ella. We also bring laptops from now on, and we'll just all sit here and type in. Do <laughs> you think they don't do this on TBN? <laughs> Actually, I'm sure they don't, because they have like 30 million people watching. Um, I think that's all for me. If you, if, if you get a chance to go home tonight and read John chapter 19, talking about the crucifixion, think about that with fresh eyes of them walking around and they didn't, they didn't break Jesus' bones. Um, it's an amazing picture. Okay. I need to wear a suit to be on TVN. I don't even own a suit. I think I, we own a cheap one for weddings, but yeah. I'll have to get a nice one, apparently. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about reaching the kids. Um, okay. Well, guys, let's pray. And uh, I hope that was, I know we, we literally basically took a spoon and, and we, we bit into some dessert tonight that was rich and uh, tasty. Uh, go home and encounter the word. And I want to end with what I started with. If your heart, if you let it become hard, it's because you haven't had it into the water of the word. And the great news about clay is that if you wet it down, it'll soften back up again. So you just get back to the Word and understand that that's what this is all about, these, this picture of the Word, the water of the Word. So, Father, we uh, just... Look, we don't want to come at this disrespectful or shallow, Lord, that this is an amazing picture that you painted for us thousands of years ago. It's a picture of feasts. It's a picture of... Uh, celebration that was a picture then was painted of you. I mean, holy God, uh, perfectly. Nothing was missed. Everything from the linen to the blood to where the blood was, it's just amazing, God. We just, we love you so much. And thank you for recording this so that these thousands of years later, we get to encounter you tonight. And Lord, my prayer then is that we would fall that much more in love with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I believe is important of why we even approach the word at all, and I talked about this last summer, but the word study only appears in the word a couple of times. And both times it is in a negative connotation. It's Jesus talking to the Pharisees. So you study the scriptures over and over again and you miss it. And, but you'll say, yeah, but Darren and, and, and Timothy, it, Paul said to study, to show thyself approved. And, it, and, and I wish... Maybe we'll get back into it. I've blogged about it. Uh, and I know this because I got a lot of really mean emails. But anyway, um, it, it, it doesn't say study. It's to dig into it. And, and what I mean is if you want to know how to approach the word, go to Psalm 119, the very middle of the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible. It talks about holding it, searching it, embracing it, treasuring it. There's all these ways to approach the word. And I don't mean this to be an, ex- an exercise in semantics. What I'm trying to say to you is that a supernatural book requires a supernatural approach. And to pray before you read it, to, to say, God, reveal yourself to me. And here's, here's why I say this. Because when you look at even John, when it says that the love of God is in your heart, you will do this, you'll help your brothers in need. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it talks about helping the poor, the saints in Jerusalem, which is what we do here. But notice that Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 doesn't begin to tell the stories and, and uh, put up pictures of the starving people there. He says, let it be a test of your love for God. Your love for the Lord 
which is established by here because you, you encounter him here and you fall more in love with him. Just like when I'm with my wife every day, slowly but surely, over 14 years, I love her more today than I did 14 years ago because I know so much more about her. I'm so much more blown away by her. And that's like the Lord. And the more you get to know him, the more blown away you are. It's infinite. I believe we're going to spend an eternity learning. If he really is infinite, we're going to spend an eternity being blown away every day. Like, I didn't know that. That's amazing, God. Cool. But when you love the Lord and you, again, through the word, you're encountering, encountering him and falling in love with him, one of the responses is to serve him, keeping in mind he has no needs. He's not thirsty. He's not poor. He doesn't need your money. He can make it rain turtles, right? He's rich. He rolls deeps. So what he does instead is he says that I choose you as my body to serve and to feed and to clothe those that are in need. That's why we do conduit. That's why we don't care uh, about anything other than serving him through others. You know what I'm saying? It's like if, if you're not hungry, how do you get, you know, and Jesus says, it's fine, just feed those that are in need. And it's just the same as, says that in Matthew 25, it's just the same as feeding me. Perfect. It's great. So every little penny we give, every dime we give, and if you're online tonight, you can go to conduitmission.org and we'll send you a free love gift of a rolling, well, what are we going to give them? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Give you the uh, dish soap made out of uh, oil, olive oil from Israel. That you know, no dishpan hands for Jesus. No, um, we're, we're going to give you nothing. But uh, you can donate online tonight at conduitmission.org. Um, and every everything we give ninety six point five percent of it away last year. I'd love it to be more this year. Um, if you put the money from the ball in place, it's like seventy three thousand dollars that has flowed through this. You know, Jesus says you have not because you ask not. I just was you know. I never thought about asking for this, so I'm just asking. If, if the Lord puts it on your heart, do it. Um, we'd love to have an offering basket, but we don't have any money. Oh, we have a bag. Those, they gave those away free at the bank. So uh, so, so if, if, if the Lord puts it on your heart, but if, look, if you feel pressure, good news, Paul says don't give because you don't have to. You don't give out of pressure. You give out of a strategic, out of love for the Lord. So, um, so that's uh, the basket is here. Uh, next week, Conduit Live from North Dakota. <laughs> The, t- the town in North Dakota, I kid you not, I thought it was a typo, New Town, North Dakota. <laughs> because apparently they had to build a new town because they had, I swear, I googled it. They, uh, it's by, the, it's like north of Minot, northwest, it's almost Montana. But they had, so they built, a, there was a dam, so they built, a, they had to move an entire town for the lake. And so the new town that they made is called New Town, North Dakota. <laughs> And we're playing the casino, man. I'll be up there, like, playing the slot machines in North Dakota <laughs> with the little old ladies on the bingo buses and stuff. <laughs> and Cutlass. It's going to be huge. So, uh, so yeah. Well, it'll be Mogulus, and I'll be, I'll, I'll, I said I'll update you from here. And, and uh, I don't know. We'll see how this works. Um, makes Pittsburgh seem tropical. So, okay, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Well, I won't. You'll see me, but I won't. To you, so cool. How you doing, man? Let's see, uh, I gotta turn off the recording.